TII, item 314, July 16th, 2014, iOS 8, Beta 3, and The Devil Wears Ice Skates. Welcome to Today in iPhone. I like it a lot. Today in iPhone. Hey, Gullah! Oh, yeah. My beautiful iPhone, which I never have out of my hand and that I do everything with and has become an extension of who I am. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Rob, and this is the Today in iOS podcast. First up, I want to thank Carlos for sending in the music you hear in the background. Carlos wrote, Hi Rob, I'm blind and use voiceover. I connected my iPhone to a MIDI keyboard as playing precise notes using the on-screen instrument is quite challenging for me. Having said that, Apple has done wonders with accessibility and making GarageBand mostly accessible and has allowed me the chance to record this song. Thank you for including this in your podcast. Regards, Carlos T. Well, thanks, Carlos, for the music. And folks, I will put the full song at the end of the episode. also want to thank Scott for sending in the artwork for today's show. Scott wrote, Hi, Rob. This is an image of the National Federation of the Blind logo that I edited in Fonto on my iPad Mini. Regards, Scott S. Well, Scott, thank you for sending in this artwork, which, as you will hear shortly, is very appropriate for this episode. And folks, you can see Scott's artwork in the TI app in the Extras episode 314, or if you subscribe via iTunes on your computer as the album artwork, and also as a standalone post in the VIP section and at facebook.com slash todayinios. If you have some artwork and or music you have created on your iOS device that you would like to share with the audience, please email it to me at todayinios at gmail.com, and please make sure to include which app or apps you use to create said artwork and or music. In this segment of How Wrong Were They, we have the following quote, quote, This site is dedicated to all information related to tablets competing with and hopefully defeating the iPad, dubbed iPad killers. These competitors will hopefully produce a high quality and cheaper product than Apple's latest innovation, unquote. iPadKiller.net, 13th of May, 2010. And well... How is that site doing four years later? Well, it's dead, of course. Shocker. Don't bet against Apple. It's not a good bet. For promo codes back on episode 313, we offered up chances to win promo codes for the apps Formula Helper and Ephemerid, a musical adventure. I'll be giving out those later this week. You can find more info about those apps at the beginning of episode 313. This week, we have promo codes for the app Puzzlesque, here is the review from the dev. Hello, everybody. I'm Jesse, and I'm one of the developers for Puzzlesque. Puzzlesque is a uniquely challenging jigsaw puzzle game. The challenge comes from the fact that the puzzles themselves are animated. If that's not enough for you, turn on one of the difficulty modifiers. Each modifier makes the puzzles exponentially more difficult. So, if you're really brave, turn on all three. Enjoy hours of challenging puzzles even as their picturesque beauty takes your mind on the vacation it needs. It's Puzzlesque. Thanks to Jesse for his review of his app, Puzzlesque, and for sending in the promo codes to give away. Folks, if you would like a chance for a promo code for this app, send an email to todayinios at gmail.com and put puzzle in the subject line. A quick reminder, if you are an app dev or an iBook author, email me if you want your app or iBook featured in the promo giveaway segment. We just need the five promo codes or more to give away. Simply email me at todayinios at gmail.com and please include a 60-second or less audio review of your app or iBook indicating you are the dev or author. 
Also, when sending in the promo codes, please make sure to let me know when they expire. Well, iOS 8 Beta 3 came out on the 7th of July, pretty much right on schedule. Well, compared to years past, that is. And I did update not just my third-gen iPad this time, but also my iPhone 5S, which is my iOS workhorse. So far, so good. Per Beta 3, nothing really big was added. Kind of also expected, but lots of little to mid-sized tweaks and ads. Probably the biggest ad in Beta 3 is iCloud Drive that's now available, which, as it states, quote, the easiest way to access your documents across all your devices. To access documents, upgrade all your devices to iOS 8 or OS 10 Yosemite and turn on iCloud Drive, unquote. Which, well, I have not even updated my Mac yet to even Mavericks. And I guess I need to get around to doing that soon. A new iCloud Drive icon has been added to the iCloud settings menu. It can be toggled on and off to allow apps to store documents and data in your iCloud account. There's also an option to allow other people to look you up in apps by your Apple ID email address. More on this in the fall, I'm sure. Also new in iOS 8 Beta 3, Apple added the ability to track your steps and distance using the M7 coprocessor. This obviously just for the iPhone 5S, iPad Air, and iPad Mini Retina. Those are the only three devices with the M7. There is also new categories you can manually enter in data, like uh, how much caffeine you consumed. And FYI, the five-hour energy drink I consumed to get this show out, it's 200 milligrams of caffeine versus, say, 330 milligrams of caffeine for a grande coffee at Starbucks or 415 milligrams for the Vente. So yeah, don't give me grief for my once a week or so five-hour energy drink. Okay, this week it was three. One tonight, one last night, one the night before. It was tough getting these notes together. Anyway, it's cheaper than a Starbucks, too. So, but manually entering data about caffeine intake, yeah, not going to be doing that too much. Just too lazy, but that's all part of the health app in uh, iOS 8. I'm sorry, just not a big proponent of manually entering data. Now that I have updated iOS 8 Beta 3 for my iPhone 5S, I can say that one of my most loved new features is the updates to the weather app. You now get by-the-hour weather out 24 hours in advance, and you get per-day weather forecast nine days out. The 24-hour one is really nice, uh, especially when you want to see what's happening the next morning, throughout the morning, when planning activities for the kids. In Beta 3, they also centered a lot of the weather data. This is the data in iOS 7 that is behind the temp at the top. When you tap on it now, uh, this has all been moved to the bottom, and you scroll up for that data now. Plus, there is other info like visibility and UV index and some other ads. Overall, I am very much liking the new weather app. There were some more new static wallpapers added. I must say, some of the wallpapers available would do well in the new tacky video from Weird Al. Just saying. If you have not seen that video yet, oh, it is really good. Google it or Bing it or DuckDuckGo it. One new feature overall in iOS 8 is the ability to see recently deleted 
photos and videos and recover them. Beta 3 adds a timestamp to each photo or video showing when each photo is set to be deleted from the deleted folder. So now when you delete a folder or a file, a photo or video, it's going to move into your deleted photo file and it's going to be there for 30 days from when you deleted it and then it's permanently deleted. I don't see an option to change that 30 days, but it kind of sounded like there will be one coming in the future. Again, more on this a whole new feature later on. Uh, well, not this episode, but future episodes. iOS 8 also introduced Wi-Fi calling, and Beta 3 seems to have activated that for T-Mobile beta testers. Not all carriers are supporting this to start. More on that in the future, I am sure. In Beta 3, there's now a toggle for enabling handoff. This is where you continue using apps between all of your iCloud devices, this is set on by default. Battery saving tip, turn it off unless you plan to actually use that service and feature, whatever you want to call it. Another addition with Beta 3, adding a toggle under settings then messages for audio and video messages. You can toggle that on to automatically keep those messages before you needed to manually save each one, which I mean is a real pain to tap that extra key when your significant other is sending you a private video message, seeing how you might not have a free hand at that time. Good thing Apple engineers were all over that one. Okay, 57 laughs, to six unsubscribes for that joke. All right, I can live with that. Okay, not sure who this one is for, but now you can turn off Apple's quick type keyboard. Go to settings, general keyboard, quick type, Again, not sure who this is for, but I really like the QuickType keyboard. FYI, you always can hide the QuickType uh, keyboard bar temporarily by swiping down on it and then swiping back up to reveal it again. Along with weather, QuickType is one of my favorite new features in iOS 8. Especially love some of the words that it'll suggest. Sometimes they're funny. One more feature, kinda, for the setup of iOS 8 Beta 3. There is now an option to share app analytics with app developers. From Apple, quote, help app developers improve their apps by allowing Apple to share crash data as well as statistics about how you use their apps with them, unquote. Now, if you select this to be on, extra data and battery usage, you will have and maybe you want to turn it off later on, or maybe you did not turn it on and you're kind of now feeling guilty about not sharing your data with the app devs. Okay, former is more likely than the latter, but in any case, if you want to change your initial choice, because you have to choose when you're setting up iOS 8 Beta 3, uh, go to Settings, then Privacy, then Diagnostic and Usage, and you will see the toggle at the bottom. It looks to be an all-or-nothing share, as in share with all app devs or don't share at all. Well, those are some of the highlights of the iOS 8 Beta 3, which I have to say is running really well on both my devices I have upgraded to, which is, again, my third-gen iPad and my iPhone 5S. I should point out my Pebble Watch is working fine with Beta 3. I had heard from quite a few people that beta 1, beta 2, that was not the case. One feature I found by accident in beta 3 
and it could have been there in the other betas of iOS 8, is when you triple tap one time, so three fingers just tap one time on the screen, you get the zoom menu box pop up that has the options toggle zoom, window zoom, choose filter, and show controller. Toggle zoom turns on and off the zoom. Window zoom, or full screen zoom, if you tap on it, lets you pick between zooming all of the screen or just a section of the screen. When it shows full screen zoom in the menu, it really means window zoom is active and vice versa. Also, uh, when you have see full screen zoom, which means window zoom is on, you also see the option to resize the window zoom lens in there. Choose filter is a nice option and gives you the options for none, inverted, grayscale, grayscale inverted, and finally low light. Low light is nice as it changes the brightness level of your iOS device. Say you are using it in bed, it essentially reduces how bright it can be. Think of it as find adjust for low light brightness. Anyway, this looks to be new in iOS 8 beta 3. And if it's not new in the beta 3, it's still new to iOS 8 and new to mentioning it on this show. Again, that is a single triple tap on any screen, including the lock screen, as long as you have Zoom turned on in accessibility, which you activate Zoom by triple tapping twice. So three fingers, tap twice quick, that turns Zoom on. Three fingers, tap once, and it opens up the Zoom window or menu. Here is some listener feedback on iOS 8 Beta 3. Hi Rob, per Beta 3, it is very stable. I put it on my iPad as well as my iPhone. Still no problem other than longer startup, this time on my 4S. Regards, KK. Hi Rob, per Beta 3, I used to write software, so I joined the developer team to gain access to tools and the betas. Last year I started downloading the betas at Beta 3. This year I started at Beta 2. Beta 2 was rough. Now with Beta 3, I have new issues. I like the betas and have high tolerance for failure. Beta 2 pushed it to the limit a few times. That said, I don't think Beta 3 is ready for prime time. Keep up the good work. Regards, BW. Gentlemen, thank you for your feedback. Any other devs want to share their feedback on the Beta 3? What you think? Let me know. 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOONDOG. Or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. Back to the email bag. Hi, Rob. This shows how bad journalism... Reuters leads to good journalism, Apple Insider, when reporters actually fact-check. Your contempt for tech bloggers who don't know what they claim to study is shared by me with regards to the Reuters article. Regards, Chelsea. And Chelsea's comments were definitely on the kinder side of what many of you wrote in on this one. And it is per, and let's be blunt here, a horrible schlock article written by Christina Farr and published by Reuters, and edited by Edward Chan and Peter Henderson. Let the guilty be named. And her comments about Apple Insider are per Daniel Aaron Dilger's article, the best response I read on this. I want to state, normally, anytime there is a public debate about usability issues for those with a disability, that is good. However, when there is an article as clearly slanted or just as plain wrong as is the case with Christina Farr's article, 
it has the potential to do real harm if there is not a debate, especially a strong and swift debate. Someone reading her article only would come away with the feeling Apple's products are not good for those with a disability, that the National Federation for the Blind is upset with Apple, and that Apple does not care about those with disabilities. That messaging, beyond being plain wrong, can also be very tragic for those with a disability that then go and make a purchasing decision based on that bad info, instead of getting an iPhone that has more features out of the box for those with a disability, they wind up with a far inferior device, resulting in a much lower quality of life for that miseducated user. That is my concern with regards to this article from Christina Farr. Now let's get into the deets, so to speak. From the article by Farr, quote, Rival Google Inc., whose Android operating system drives more phones than Apple, is also under pressure, but as the creator of the modern smartphone, and a longtime champion for the blind, Apple is feeling the most heat, unquote. Farr wrote, with regards to those with accessibility needs, quote, Apple hasn't been a steady champion, unquote. Holy crap! I mean, wow, really? Or as Jim Dalrymple from The Loop wrote, Dear Reuters, you effing morons, unquote. Can anyone name a single high-tech company that has been a bigger or more steady champion for the needs of those with physical disabilities than Apple has been? Any tech company, or any company at all. And if so, explain why that choice, because I'm scratching my head to think of any company even remotely close. Apple did not jump on the bandwagon of accessibility. Apple was offering up solutions in the 90s and 80s. It has a very, very long and consistent history of being the champion for those with accessibility needs. And this is not something that is hidden knowledge. This is something a simple Google search would have told her. Here is a quote from Segard W, a blind listener of this show. It is from his first email to me back on October 5th, 2011. Quote, I think it would be nice to mention Apple's commitment to accessibility and how revolutionary iOS devices are for a visually impaired person due to their out-of-the-box accessibility at no extra cost. Previously, we had to purchase often very expensive specialty devices, which had a fraction of the features of an iOS device at often the same or even more cost, unquote. And from Steve R. from June 2012, quote, I'm a registered blind from Surrey in the UK, and I am an avid iOS and Mac users. I first accidentally came across voiceover on the iPhone 3GS. Since that moment a couple of years ago, I now own an iPhone 4S and 4, iPad 1 and 3rd generation, iMac 27-inch MacBook Pro with 27-inch external display, I mainly use the high levels of Zoom, and the Apple TV too. Every device has voiceover, which is what the blind community has been waiting for, and I can't tell you how much these products have transformed my life, unquote. And I had many, many other emails like that about how iOS devices have drastically improved the quality of life for the users. It is if, if far deliberately went out of her way to paint Apple in a bad light. 
Normally, I would say, don't blame on malice that which could easily be explained by incompetence. But well, this next part of the article has me rethinking that thought process. Quote from Farr, Apple Chief Executive Tim Cook, in a 2013 speech at Auburn University, described people with disabilities, quote from Tim Cook, in a struggle to have their human dignity acknowledged, he said, they are frequently left in the shadows of technological advancements that are a source of empowerment and attainment for others, unquote, unquote. And here is where I really question the motives of the author. She left out the rest of the quote from Tim Cook, essentially changing the entire meaning of what he was saying. Tim Cook continued, quote, but Apple engineers pushed back against this unacceptable reality. They go to extraordinary lengths to make our products accessible to people with various disabilities, from blindness and deafness to various muscular disorders. I receive hundreds of emails from customers every day, and I read them all. Last week, I received one from a single mom with a three-year-old autistic son who was completely nonverbal, and after receiving an iPad for the first time in his life, he had found his voice. I receive scores of these incredible stories from around the world, and I never tire of reading of them. We design our products to surprise and delight everyone who uses them, and we never, ever analyze the return on investment. We do it because it's just and right, and that is what respect for human dignity requires, and it is a part of Apple I am especially proud of." Farr immediately followed up her questionable truncation of Tim Cook's very awesome quote with, quote, The company declined to comment on its accessibility strategy or whether developers should be required to make apps accessible, unquote, making it seem as if Apple was uncaring and unresponsive. Daniel Aaron Dilger from Apple Insider mentions Apple's entire section of its website dedicated to accessibility issues and solutions, which you can find very easily enough at apple.com slash accessibility. There are sections on vision, hearing, physical and motor skills, learning and literacy. This is information Apple makes very easy to find, and any reporter worth her salt could have found if they remotely tried or wanted to find it. As Dilger said, quote, Reuters turned the story upside down to portray Apple as indifferent to the needs of disability users, unquote. And Farr did not even remotely mention or hint at Tim Cook's comments from the Apple shareholders meeting earlier this year, where Tim ripped into the representatives from the National Center for Public Policy Research, also known as the acronym S-C-R-O-O-G-E, where they wanted Apple to commit to only doing things that were profitable. Tim Cook said, quote, When we work on making our devices accessible by the blind, I don't consider the bloody ROI, unquote. Let's be clear. iOS is years ahead of Android when it comes to accessibility, in part because of Apple's commitment not to ROI, but to what is right. Not to point that out in the article or to imply otherwise was incompetence at best. Far to her defense on Twitter, tried to say the article was all about holding Apple accountable for all the app devs 
out there and getting them to require that their apps have in the proper accessibility features, just like Apple's own apps. I added that last part in, as she did not even acknowledge that much. Listener Kevin B., back on February 19th, 2013, wrote the following, quote, As a blind user of both the iPhone and iPad, I can assure you that the Kindle app is useless for blind users. While Apple does much for making iOS useful for the blind, the app developer has to do their part as well. Amazon generally has given the whole blind community the middle finger, failing to make any of their Kindle devices usable by the blind, with the exception of the Kindle Keyboard original, which was partly usable." Unquote. Apple has created the tools and framework to make apps that are accessible. It has provided guidance and suggestions to developers on how to do this. Do all developers follow these guidelines of suge- or suggestions? Of course not. Should they? Of course they should. But this article, whose goal may have been to point this out, did such a bad job of getting that message across as it devolved into what looks like a slanted hit piece, either full of malice or incompetence. And worse yet, casts Apple and iOS devices in a disingenuous light when it comes to accessibility features. As Mark A. Riccobono, president of the National Federation of the Blind, commented on their recent resolution that was passed that called for Apple to work with the National Federation of the Blind to create and enforce policies, standards, and procedures to ensure accessibility of all apps, and in particular to ensure accessibility is not lost when an app is updated, which is clearly a real-world concern, especially when an app dev does a complete rewrite of an app and they push uh, to get the new version out when they may have not taken the time yet to put in the proper labels for all the buttons for voiceover uh, to be effective. Anyway, with regards to the resolution passing and the article by far, here is what the president of the National Federation of the Blind said in a blog post. Quote, I thought the chatter around the resolution would fade away until some media reports made inaccurate assertions about the resolution, its content, and what actions the National Federation of the Blind will take to carry it out. Many of these inaccurate assertions have been fueled by a provocative and poorly reported article from Reuters News Service, linked here only for reference. Reuters has been forced to correct the article because it reported inaccurately that the National Federation of the Blind once brought suit against Apple. This never happened, although a demand letter was sent regarding the accessibility of iTunes and iTunes U, and the Massachusetts Attorney General opened an investigation, those actions resulted in a voluntary agreement with Apple that was a significant step in getting us the accessibility we experience today. Unquote. He continues later in the blog post with this comment, quote, Apple has done more for accessibility than any other company to date. And we have duly recognized this by presenting the company with at least two awards and publicly praising it whenever the opportunity arises, unquote. For the record, I did reach out to Christina Farr, the author, and Edward Chan and Peter Henderson, the editors, via email, requesting they come on the show to talk about Christina's quote-unquote article and their rebuttal article by Daniel Aaron Dilger from Apple Insider. 
I reached out to all three on Monday, July 14th. None of them replied, but I did reach Edward Chan by phone the evening of the 15th. I called him. And in that call, he said Reuters would not be pulling the article, was standing behind it. And he stood by that stance. Even after I mentioned the comments from the president of the NFB, the National Federation of Blind, again, I can't say this is malice. But if it was, maybe then they cashed the check already from Samsung. Just saying. Honestly, I can't understand why Reuters has not pulled this article. It really is that bad. And I guess Reuters is just saying, to hell with the torpedoes, full speed ahead. I mean, they're just, it's not logical. I mean, this is a really, really bad article. This is the worst, one of the worst articles, probably the worst article I have read uh, about Apple since I've been covering the show. And I pointed that out to him. And again, Reuters is standing behind this schlock of an article. I don't know why. Once again, this article, I believe, was supposed to be about issues and frustrations, rightly so, of users of apps with disabilities that they face from those apps that have no usability features or lack too many, or worse yet, those that, when updated, lose features they once had. And clearly, that latter one is the one that's the most frustrating, especially if it is an app that you've come to rely on. But sadly, that is not the message from the article ultimately conveyed. And it's apparent malice or poor reporting and misreporting, at the end of the day, had the potential to do more harm than good. Apple is committed to usability improvements in iOS 8. You heard me mention that on this show when I went over the new features for iOS 8, as mentioned on episode 310, which includes Speak Screen, Improved Zoom for accessibility, Alex Voice for accessibility, Grayscale, Braille Keyboard for direct 6-dot Braille import, and multi-device support for MiFi hearing aids. Not to mention support for third-party keyboards, which will definitely help on the accessibility side. Can Apple do more to help on accessibility side? Yes, of course. And will they do more? Yes, of course they will. How do I know they will? Simply because no one has been a more steady champion of the needs of those with accessibility issues than Apple. Period. But it is also up to the individual app devs to do their part and to use the tools from Apple to add in those features needed by all and to properly test their apps for said features, and most importantly, to listen to the feedback of their users. And now I want to put my money where my mouth is. Two years ago, I did a call to action for blind beta testers of the TI app and Libsyn apps. Thanks for all those that helped out. And we, right now, are going to, are actually in the midst of a complete rewrite of the TII and Libsyn apps from the ground up. And, well, we need beta testers again. If you're interested in being a beta tester for the TI app and the Lipson Core app, and also power that, you know, that, that's one that powers hundreds of podcasters' apps, such as WTF app by Mark Marin, Aisha Tyler's app, Ben Greenfield's app, Mac OS Ken, Adam Kroll app, Jay Moore, and many, many, many others. Please email me, rob at lipson.com. Let me know you're interested in being a beta tester. Again, we're looking for those that use VoiceOver and other accessibility features with iOS apps. Please email me, rob at libsyn.com, L-I-B-S-Y-N, or todayinios at gmail.com, either way, whichever one you can remember. And please put beta tester in the subject line. Thanks.
Apple announced that on July 22nd, they'll be doing their quarterly conference call. Yippee! That timing works out well, as the next day I'll be presenting at K-Fest again. That is the Apple II conference where uh, they have it each year here in Kansas City at Rockhurst University. It is a yearly thing I love presenting at, and it gets me out in front of the true geeks talking about Apple and iOS. As always, I will have a post first as a blog post, and that'll be a recap of the numbers and then a full episode shortly thereafter. The conference call, as normal, will start at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the 22nd. Look for the post right before the start of the call and then updates right after, maybe even during, and a push notice as well. If you have the TI app, um, the post will be in the app as well. Everyone else, go to todayinios.com. Switching gears, in Overland Park on Tuesday, we were getting a cold front. It was down below 55 degrees when I woke up or went to sleep. They were pretty close to each other, for that matter. They said it was because of a polar vortex this time in the summer. And strangely, while it was very cool here in Overland Park, it seems that in both Cupertino, California and Armonk, New York on Tuesday, it was so cold, hell seems to have frozen over. That is the only way to describe the joint press release by Apple and IBM that they are forging a global partnership to transform enterprise mobility. They announced, quote, an exclusive partnership that teams the market-leading strengths of each company to transform enterprise mobility through a new class of business apps, bringing IBM's big data and analytics capabilities to iPhone and iPad, unquote. Holy ice skates in Hades, Batman. Also from the press release, they said this partnership will be built around four core capabilities, which are, quote, a new class of more than 100 industry-specific enterprise solutions, including native apps developed exclusively from the ground up for iPhone and iPad. Unique IBM cloud services optimized for iOS, including device management, security, analytics, and mobile integration. New Apple Care service and support offering tailored to the needs of the enterprise. And new packaged offerings from IBM for device activation, supply, and management, unquote. This is Apple not saying they are taking enterprise seriously with regards to iPhones and iPads. This is Apple and IBM showing combined they are taking the enterprise seriously for iOS devices. To learn more, go to apple.com slash iPad slash business, or look for the link in the show notes, and try not to slip on the ice. Per what Wall Street thought, well, initially, they seemed excited. The stock opened at a new 52-week high on Wednesday morning at $97. But at the end of the day, it rolled off a cliff and ended up under 95 Seems Wall Street is much more impressed with rumors these days than, you know, hard, cold facts, even if those facts are really, really positive. I think this announcement is huge as it helps secure Apple's place in the enterprise. In other words... There are very few IT managers these days that I have to say, go fire. Go back six plus years ago and listen to my fire your IT manager rants about IT Nazis that would not allow iPhones in the workplace. 
I think some dismiss this announcement because they think, okay, wow, Apple's going to push from 98% penetration of Fortune 500 companies to 98.2%. Really not much of an improvement. But where it will matter is the percentage of those phones at each of the 98.2% of the Fortune 500 companies, where maybe many had just 1% or 2% of the workforce using iPhones, also known as upper management. Now iPhones can work their ways down to the whole workforce with much less IT friction and maybe even with some IT grease of the wheels, thanks to IBM and their apps and Salesforce, which is going to be selling this. Again, while Wall Street was not impressed, me and the devil, we are skating figure eights. Hello, Rob. This is Justin from Pennsylvania. I'm calling in response to, uh, I believe it was Shannon who called in with an iMessage problem. Now, I think I have the fix for you here. I believe I've had the same issue. Go into settings, go into messages, then go down to, I think where it says like, I think it's the options like send and receive, or I know what it is. It says start conversation from, and uh, it'll have your phone number and your email address. Now, what you need to do is you need to if your if your phone number is the one that's selected, click the email address as the one to do to start the iMessage from. This iPhone this makes it easier for me when I'm either iMessaging from my iPad or my Mac. So give that a try if it's not already set up that way. And I've had the same issue where all of a sudden like it just won't send, it fails and eventually it'll send as a text. And I think I've had the same issue and if I choose the option. It's in messages. It's in settings, messages. It's somewhere in messages. I might be blanking on exactly how you get there, but just start conversations from your email address. And I do believe that'll fix this issue for you. And if it doesn't, I hope it's, uh, I hope it helps you. All right. Thanks guys. And have a great day. Thanks. Love the show, Rob. All right, I'm listening to your latest episode, 313, and wanted to respond to Shandy, who was disappointed that the Alex voice will only work on the 5S or later. Assume it requires the 64-bit processor. I'm also completely blind and use voiceover exclusively. I, of course, was also curious about the Alex voice and downloaded it. Incidentally, it takes up 309 megabyte of space, and I used it probably for all of 10 minutes before reverting back to the default female high-quality voice. In my opinion, Alex on the iPhone sounds muffled and less clear than the default high-quality female voice, especially at slightly higher speed. I know from discussion with other blind people that the text-to-speech voice preferences are very subjective, and it will be interesting to see how many like Alex on the iPhone as it is, Maybe Apple will improve this on the Mac. Alex is a very good text-to-speech voice, but for now, at least for me, it, was a, it has little appeal on the iPhone. Lastly, if Shandy's contract runs out in September, she can get a free 5S if she renews for two years. Actually, my niece and her husband both just upgraded to the 5S phone here in Canada and paid $0 with Telos on a two-year contract. I guess some carriers already started to get rid of old, older inventory by offering the 5S for free. Maybe she can convince her mom with the argument that this would also mean she has a phone which is once again covered under warranty. If all else fails, maybe a strategic accident might have to be put in place on the old 4S to get it out of its misery. 
Regards, S from Canada. Hi, Rob. I use Swipe on my Android tablet. I love it. If Apple did not allow Swipe-style keyboards this time around, I was ready to jump ship. I have a muscle degenerative disease. Being able to swipe for a keyboard is absolutely essential for me. I'm glad now that I do not have to jump ship and can keep all my iDevices. One listener said that uh, they will not be able to get Alex's voice for voiceover on the 4S. I believe this is not true. The iPhone 4S will be updated with iOS 8. iOS 8 will have Alex. I don't believe any betas have it yet. I don't know where they got their info, but I've been able, I haven't been able to find anything that would suggest that iOS 8, with regards to Alex, will be different for any iDevice, which can be updated. Regards, Jim N. East Lansing, Michigan. Now, I have searched for a definitive answer for Alex voice will work on the iPhone 4S or not, and well, to date, I have not found that answer. Just lots of speculation both ways. If anyone knows the answer for sure and can send a link that tracks back to something that Apple has said for confirmation, either way, please let me know. Thanks, and send that to todayinios at gmail.com. Hi, Rob. I was writing about the gifting issue mentioned in episode 313. I know you can't send a gift using iTunes credit. Person needs to make sure they have valid payment information on the account, which they could do on an iOS device under settings, iTunes, and App Store, and then tap Apple ID, sign in, and tap payment info, or on a Mac or PC in iTunes by clicking on their Apple ID in the iTunes store pane. Hope this helps. Regards, Jonathan N. Uh, this is Janet calling from Richwood, Ohio again. Um, I'm calling in response to one of your callers. I believe his name was Shannon. With regards to the um, iMessage is not going through while a call is connected. Um, I don't know what carrier uh, Shannon uses for his iPhone. However, um, at least on Verizon, the, um, because iMessages use data, if you are connected to a call, Data cannot be sent via cellular when a call is connected. So this would explain why messages do not uh, are not sent or are not uh, received while a call is connected, um, and those messages will not either directly be sent or directly be received until that call is disconnected. Data, just for whatever reason, I guess I uh, Apple decided not to put the chipset required in the device that would allow the cellular data to, to still transfer data while a call is connected. So you really wouldn't be able to do anything on the data network while a call is connected. So we'll browse the web and we'll receive an iMessage. Um, this would also explain why the message converts to text if you're on a call, because a text message uses the voice network. The, the message will convert to text if the message is uh, unavailable and since uh, Shannon's device is set to allow the message to be sent as a text. If iMessage is unavailable, then that would make sense. iMessage would not be available uh, because data would not be available when a call is connected. I hope that helps. hope that makes a little sense. Uh, and again, greatly enjoying the show. Uh, and I hope by the time you hear this, you've had a lovely vacation. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Into the email bag. Hi, Rob. I'm guessing the caller, Shannon, who is having trouble with iMessage, is not on AT&T. AT&T is the only provider I am aware of that allows data use and talk at the same time. 
if he is getting on iMessage and getting an iMessage dumped after getting off the phone, it is likely due to his data connection being unavailable until the call ends and iMessages requiring data and not cellular connection to transmit. If his messages are showing up in green from um, this issue, my best guess would be that iMessage attempted to send or receive and could not establish a data connection and then reattempted as a text. I know text uses the cellular connection, but I do not know if non-AT&T users can talk and text at the same time. As far as his wife's phone showing his email and is not showing hers for iMessage, this is probably due to her setup of iMessage and not having her email selected as a delivery method for iMessage when setting up the phone. To check, go to Messages, then Send and Receive, and you can see what delivery options are selected and can add delete delivery options. There is also the unlikely possibility that he does not have his wife's email address saved in her contact on his phone. Hope this helps. Regards, Brian. Well, Brian and Janet and everyone else, thank you for your feedback. Well, we're now well over a 1,000 members in our Google Plus community and growing. Thanks to everyone that has joined, and thanks for the great posts. Being over 1,000 members on Google Plus seems to be a mating call of sorts to spammers. Yeah, as soon as we hit the 1,000 members, the number of requests jumped with well over three-fourths or three-quarters clearly being from spammers. I am doing my best to reject spammers from the get-go. Some are really easy to tell. Pictures of good-looking women with a guy's name? Yeah, it's kind of a giveaway. Or a business name? Note, I do not accept business names. Uh, Must be a real person's name. For the record, I do not have anything against good-looking women if they're real. Heck, I'm married to one. And if you are an attractive female and you did not get accepted, I am sorry for symmetrical female facial features with lots of cleavage profiling. Just email me and I will get you in. That all said, some will get around my filtering and when they post spam posts, I will delete the posts and kick them out. Again, well over 99% of those getting accepted are legit users, playing by the rules and putting up good posts. Speaking of which, one post in the Google Plus community this past two weeks came from Craig Lucas, and it was the most commented on post with well over 30 comments. His post was, quote, Okay, fellow iOS folks, imagine the iPhone 6 launched tomorrow in 4-inch, 4.7, and 5.5 inches. All come in gold, silver, and space gray, and all come 32, 64, and 128 gig storage. What iPhone 6 would you pick? Unquote. And from the responses, this is how it broke out. One person said they would stay with the 5S. Three people went with the 4-inch, 12 went with the 4.7, and 7 went with the 5.5-inch, including yours truly. Nine went with space gray, five went with silver, six went with gold. Two did not care of the color. Two went with 32 gig, 14 went with 64 gig, five went with 128 gig, and one went with any storage available. So email me with your choice, 4, 4.7, or 5.5 inch, gold or silver or space gray, and 32, 64, or 128 gig on storage. What is your ideal iPhone 6 configuration? Or will you stay with your current iPhone? And which one is that? Send that email to todayinios at gmail.com or respond to the post on Google+. Just don't do both. 
Don't want to double count you. The Google Plus post was back on July 7th from Craig Lucas. Let me know, again, for 4.7 or 5-inch, or staying with what you have, 32, 64, 128 gig storage, and do you want silver, gold, or space gray for the color? Send that email to todayinios at gmail.com or answer in the post in the Google Plus community for July 7th post. Thanks, Craig, for that post. And these past couple of weeks, there have also been dozens and dozens of other new posts in the TII Google Plus community, which is an Android Boys Free Zone and Spammer Free Zone. Yep, it is the most civil Google Plus community covering iOS and really covering any subject. So folks, go to todayinios.com slash community to join in. And thanks to all 1,000 plus of you already in the community and contributing. One thing I did not mention on the last show was Apple's announcement about updates to iTunes U. And one of the key parts of that announcement was, quote, the new in-app updates to iTunes U give teachers full course creation capabilities on iPad with the ability to directly add rich content and learning materials from iWork, iBooks Author, or any of the over 75,000 educational apps available for iPad. Taking advantage of the built-in Camera on iPad teachers can also capture photos and videos to incorporate real-world subject matters into any course, making relevant content available to all students in an instant, unquote. Had a few teachers email in and say they were really excited about this announcement and looking forward to trying this out next school year. Well, okay, maybe they're not looking forward to the summer being over already, but they're interested in trying it out when the summer comes to a tragic end. Look for the link titled Apple Announces Update to iTunes U in the show notes for episode 314 over at todayinios.com. To the email bag. Hi Rob, I saw this article. I don't necessarily believe haptic feedback will be in the iPhone 6, but the part that Apple would make their own Bulldog version or license them, Apple has deep pockets. What are your thoughts? Thanks for the show, Jason H. I think haptic feedback has to be one of the oldest rumors for the iPhone that there is that hasn't come to fruition, going back to even before the first iPhone came out. I'm not sure I'm even legally allowed to talk about rumors that are over seven years old. I have to check my uh, contract. Quickly looking through some of the old notes, uh, back in July 2009, we reported on an article at Mac Rumors where they talked about a recent Apple patent filing or announcement with regards to haptic feedback, and that was five plus years ago. That patent was made public, and in all that time, nothing, nada, zip with regards to haptic keyboards. Once again, haptic was a rumor we talked about prior to the iPhone launching in 2007. We've mentioned it a few times since then, and I'm going to guess it's not going to happen this time around either. But thanks for the trip down memory lane. Now I just need to find a rumor about removable batteries and physical keyboards, and we'll be all set. A couple of videos came out this past week showing what is supposed to be the actual front panel sapphire glass of the iPhone 6. In the videos, they tortured the glass, trying to scrape it with keys and a big old buck knife, and they hit it with a hammer, and then even tried to hammer a nail on it. And when they twisted it and bent it, uh, even bringing it to 90 degrees, it survived. Survived all that with no scratches. 
But one of the videos, they then ran it over with a car tire, and it finally shattered it. Remember, sapphire glass is not, repeat, it is not transparent aluminum. It is going to break at some point. People will get the next iPhone with sapphire glass, they will drop it, and they will have their screen shatter. Sometimes that will be just from dropping it from their lap. It is not magic. It is not indestructible. You still need to treat your iPhone 6 with care. What it should do and should be is harder to scratch than Gorilla Glass. Much, much harder to scratch. And by default, much less likely to shatter from small falls. Unless those falls hit just right on something pointy and sticking up. Oh, I don't know, say like the bolt on the floor between seats on a Southwest airliner. There will be videos within a couple of days of the iPhone 6 launching of people on YouTube bemoaning that their new iPhone 6 screen shattered and they are shocked and angry because they thought it was magical and couldn't break. If you watch the videos, you will see the glass is very strong and takes a lot of abuse. The other nice thing uh, was them showing how thin the sapphire glass is and how there is no distortion or color shift. It looks close to invisible or completely transparent, just not quite as good as transparent aluminum. On the rumor front, there's another new rumor, and that is with regards to the A8 processor and that it'll be clocked at 2 gigahertz, but stay at a dual core so essentially, just going from 1.3, 1.4 gigahertz, which are the latest top-of-the-line in iOS devices using an A7, to 2 gigahertz for the next top-of-the-line devices, or over 2 gigahertz. Maybe one's 2 and the other's 2.1. We'll see. I think we should expect more rumors about the A8 over the next two months. Jumping over to the, hey, let's make stuff up and count how many people report it like it's fact category, comes a, quote, report, unquote, out of Taiwan's Business Weekly, saying that Apple has ordered at least 68 million units of its new iPhone, which they claim is twice as large as the order Apple placed for the iPhone 5. Not to be outdone, Taiwan Topology Research Institute, when they were not busy pulling monkeys out of their nether regions, also pulled out these numbers, saying the iPhone 6 would sell around 80 million units by the end of 2014, with the 4.7 version accounting for 70 million of those 80, while the 5.5-inch version would sell between 8 and 10 million units during that time frame. First, they're skipping over the possibility of a 4-inch iPhone 6, and second, they did not look at our results in the Google Plus community, where only 55% would be going with the 4.7-inch version, and over 30% would be going for the 5.5-inch version. Again, email me, which version you want today in iOS at gmail.com. Do you want the 4, the 4.7, or the 5.5-inch iPhone 6? Do you want 32, 64, 128 gig storage? And do you want silver, gold, or space gray? Send that email to todayinios at gmail.com. Adding more fuel to the iWatch rumor fire is that Apple just hired an exec from Switch watch firm Tag Heuer, Mr. Patrick Pruneau, who was the VP of sales for Tag Heuer. It definitely looks like there is so much smoke coming from the iWatch rumors at this point, there has to be some fire. 
Rumors and speculation about how many iWatches would be sold caused Apple stock on Monday to jump almost two percentage points where, from where it ended on Friday. Of course, on Tuesday the next day, a completely baseless rumor about Apple having iPhone 6 production issues caused the stock to pretty much give up all that it gained on Monday. For the rumor, quote, KGI Securities analyst Ming Chai Gu expressed in one of his research notes that problems Apple is facing with the 4.7-inch iPhone 6 are even more challenging now for the 5.5-incher, possibly leading to delays. I'm trying to remember back to the last time there was a rumor leading up to the iPhone launch that said there were production delays that would lead to availability issues. Let me think, was it last year, was it the year before that, or the one before that, or, oh wait, this rumor is almost verbatim that which has been floated out there every single year prior to the launch of the iPhone. Hmm, almost makes you think it's not true. Again. The report by Ming Chiku also stated the 5.5-inch version may not pass the drop test because, you know, he watched a video of a car running over the sapphire glass and saw it shatter. Some are also saying the 5.5-inch version will not launch at all in 2004 now or just in minutely sparse quantities and not until November best case. Or this could just be the increments from Boss Taurus. There were a lot of posts about the iPhone 6 being listed on Amazon Japan with the release date, price, display size, even weight, and whatnot. So let's look at the possible reasons for this post. 1. Apple gave Amazon all this info for their system two months early because you know Apple loves to give out info about their products early, especially to a competitor that just announced their own smartphone. And the info released is accurate. Or 2. Someone in Amazon was creating a placeholder for what most of the world expects will be the next iPhone based on the plethora of rumors and they just took some educated guesses on all the specs but wanted to get that in place so that placeholder is there so that they could do some testing. Option 1. Apple spills the beans to competitor. Option 2. Amazon doing testing. Oh wait. Option 3. Someone at Amazon Japan is just yanking all our collective chains. Yeah, now put them in order of likeliness. We've heard over and over for quite some time now that the iPhone 5C sales are horrible, pitiful, embarrassing, and, well, yada, yada, yada. But wait, what is this news that we're hearing about May and the iPhone 5C and that it outsold the newly released Galaxy S5? Yes, you heard that right. The lowly iPhone 5C, the ugly red-headed stepchild of the iPhone family that was released in September, bested the mighty powerful Galaxy S5 in its first full calendar month of release? Inconceivable, all the Android fanboys would say. It cannot be. If that was the case, then Sammy would be reporting a much lower than expected numbers, right? Well, yes. Yes, they would. And Sammy reported a big drop in its numbers for a third consecutive quarter, quote, 
citing an overall slowdown in smartphone market growth and increased competition in China and some European markets, unquote. I will not get into the details of Sammy's woes, as I'm just a little too busy wallowing in their misery right now to try to dig for more details. Thanks to Dr. John and all the others that sent in those links. Okay, I'm done wallowing. Here are some details. For May, the Galaxy S5 was only the third best-selling phone in the UK behind Apple's iPhone 5S and 5C. Actually, the 5C was the best-selling with 11.1% of all sales. The 5S was next with 11% said Kantar. The Galaxy S5 had 9%, and its year-old Galaxy S4 was at 7.4%. The Moto G had 6% of all sales. Together, those five handsets had 44.5% of all handset sales in the UK in the month of May. Again, the month of May included the first full calendar month of sales for Samsung's new flagship phone, which has a 5.1-inch screen, much larger than the 4-inch screen of the iPhone 5C and 5S. So much for that whole the world just wants 5-plus-inch screen size rumors that go around. Or that the 5C is a flop, for that matter. Because if it's a flop, then everything else is a disaster. Hello, Rob. This is Justin from Pennsylvania. I was calling um, in response to, I mean, now that we're pretty much at a rumor consensus about the screen sizes of iOS, uh, I mean, not iOS 8, but uh, the new iPhone, or whatever it would be called. And... I just, I find it hard, I'm wondering about the 5.5 inch phone. I mean, those have not been big sellers in the States. They have been big sellers in Asian, Asian markets. So is that like, is this be possible? Because I know there's a lot of rumors saying that the 5.5 inch would um, be uh, released at a later time in the United States. Maybe this would be their, you know, first Asian push, you know, for China and stuff. People that, use their phone as their primary computing device. Well, in the United States, the 4.7-inch model Android phones seem to be the most popular size. That seems to be the consensus here. So just wondering what you thought about that. And just uh, it seems so strange for me to see Apple go from a 4-inch phone to make a phablet. It just, um, I mean, not that I care. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I think the 4.7 is going to be my choice, but pretty interesting to see just between all the different changes with iOS 8 coming out and it just seems like there's a, they're doing a lot of different things and I think it's exciting. I'm glad there's other options. I mean, I think the 5.5 inch won't be as popular as the 4.7 here, but hey, you know, I mean, options are great and I think having more options giving people a reason to come into iOS that maybe we're using Android only because of the screen size, which I always thought was such a bad idea. I mean, because the screen size argument has been really the only argument that I can understand for Android. So now that that should be gone, it'd be nice to see maybe bring back some people back back into iOS with the bigger phone. So anyway, thanks again, Rob. I appreciate the show. Just want to know what your thoughts were about that. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Justin, thanks for the feedback. My feeling is this fall, Apple's lineup will include a 4-inch, a 4.7-inch, and a 5.5-inch iPhone. Whether that 4-inch is just the 5S 
and the 5C. So maybe you have the 5C and the 5S still available for sale. The 5, oh, it's already gone, but the uh, 4S goes away, and that's your 4-inch versions. The 5S and the 5C continue to for sale, and then you've got the 4.7-inch and the 5.5-inch or the iPhone 6. That's one option, and then the other option is that Apple does the 5C as the low-end cheap phone, the 6 as 4-inch, version and then a 6 4.7 inch and a 6 5.5 inch version i'm hoping it's the latter i think that will be the best for the apple users out there because i know a lot of people like the four inch phone i've talked to quite a few people that like the four inch size they like the smaller size and i hope there is a new iphone 6 with the 8 8 processor at four inches we shall see in about two months into the email bag we go. Hi, Rob. For some weird reason in the Apple Podcast app, or Podcast app, when I subscribe to a podcast, it downloads all of the podcast episodes of a show. Regards, Zachary S. Hey, Zachary. First, check your settings in the podcast app. In the settings app, go to podcasts and look for the setting for download episodes. It should be turned off. Sounds like for you, it is turned on. Default that to turn it off. For any show you are having issues with in the podcast app, go to my podcast, lower left, select the show, then tap on the title, then on settings, and look for the setting for download episodes. Make sure it's turned off. Also check iTunes for podcasts to see what you have your settings on for those podcasts over on iTunes on your computer. That should take care of your issues with regards to downloads. Hi, Rob. Thanks for all the entertaining shows. I just wanted to write in about the Maps app. I hadn't used it in a long time, relying exclusively on Google Maps. I was pleasantly surprised, and I really like how well Apple's Maps integrate with iOS. When navigating, if you press the sleep button to power down the screen, the Maps app takes over the lock screen. And at important points in the navigation, it will automatically turn on showing you the map. At any point, if you press the sleep-wake button, the Maps app shows your current position on the lock screen. I, don't, I didn't know about this. In my opinion, it's a great feature and reason to use Apple's Maps app over any other solution. I wrote you because I bet I'm not the only one that hasn't used the app recently. Regards, Darren. Well, Darren, thanks for the feedback. I am personally an Apple's Maps liker, and I have been for some time. I guess I have been lucky, and it has always worked very well for me, and never close to as bad as others have made it out to sound. That said, many have stayed away, and as you mentioned, it has gotten better. So folks, if you have not done so recently, give Apple Maps another chance. Pull it out of that folder where you hit it next to the newsstand app. Hi, Rob. I'm beginning to experiment with some solutions for tracking your checked bags and locating these. I've done testing on just one trip so far with the, the tileapp.com as well as find my iPhone on a spare phone. I found with the tile hardware tag and the associated tile iOS app, you can typically see when or if your bag is loaded on the plane from your seat on board. 
However, the audio sound on the tile is quite low for a noisy baggage claim area, though you are able to hear it in very close range. I found the sound on Find My iPhone is a quite a bit louder and easier to spot. There are a couple of other products I want to test, including the travelradar.awwapps.com, which uses iBeacons and one to two others from Amazon. Before iPhone and iPhones and Bluetooth, I would often use a low-tech device like a wireless doorbell, but these devices will help to consolidate the items I have to bring now and also bring more location-aware functionality. I'm going on a trip later this week and we'll test some of the other products. I will likely do an audio-recorded demo at some point, but I wanted to let you know for now and see if you have any preliminary thoughts, experiences, things that you've read about, etc. Best regards, Micah P. Well, Micah, I haven't, but I'm going to throw that one out to the audience. Folks, have you done anything to make it easier to track your bags? Is there an app or a tag or some other hacked job that you've done to easily track your bags when you travel? Give us a call, 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOON-DOG. Or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. Hey, Rob. It's Larry Singer. I'm actually calling because... Um a woman in, uh, God, what show was it, uh, 311, I think it was, was talking about Sprint and how the uh, connection would keep changing from 1X to 3G. And I'm on Verizon, and I'm actually uh, lucky in that I somehow got grandfathered in with the unlimited plan, and I'm going to give up that unlimited plan if they pull it from my cold-fed hand. I'll probably end up buying the next iPhone that I get because I don't want to upgrade because I don't want to get rid of it. But anyhow, uh, yeah, I've just noticed that, you know, I've I've had problems on and off with connectivity, with it even saying, like, I had LTE or 3G, and yet, uh, in order to listen to this, you have to connect to the cellular network, which, I mean, I've I've been through three or four or five different uh, iPhones with that. But regardless, I did... um, I was interested because she had mentioned that uh, she felt like it was roaming, and I thought, well, first thing, maybe uh, has she gone into the settings and under uh, cellular network and then cellular, there's a setting to disable roaming. So I know that if you if you have it enabled, then obviously roaming's going to be enabled. But if you could shut it off, then maybe you could take a screenshot and prove to Sprint that hey, my roaming is off. And then uh, second thing, I, I and, and then. I also, since I get that 1X and that 3G uh, switching quite often, I decided to do a Google search and look that up and found out that actually there is a discussion on Apple's discussion boards about that very same issue, and it's a known issue, and it's documented, and this was back in 2013. So I'm actually going to send that link to you, Rob, and you can pass on to your listeners, and maybe it might help somebody or maybe it won't. All right, well, thank you very much, and hope this uh, works for you. Bye. Thanks, Larry, for that feedback, and thanks for the link. And I will put that in the show notes for episode 314 over at todayinios.com. Look for the one, Why is my iPhone 4 switching? Thanks to Max P for this next one, which is a Kickstarter project, because, yeah, we're at that point of the show. Well, in a normal show, we'd be well past that point. This is a long episode. This one is 
the Switch, spelled S-W-I-C-H. It is a wireless charger, or as they say, quote, Switch is a sophisticated wireless charger for smartphones, a mobile accessory made from sustainable materials, unquote. They hit a goal of 25K, and they are well over 40K now and have until July 29th at 10.21 p.m. Central Time before this is completed. Essentially, this is a wireless charging stand that will also rotate when your iPhone is on it so you can look at it in portrait or landscape mode. Pricing for this is $170. Yeah. Did I mention it is made with a sustainable material and it swivels and it is wireless charging? And by wireless charging, it means a case that you put your iPhone into and then that powers the iPhone when it's on the charging base. And it is $170, which gets you that case and charging base. Search for Switch, S-W-I-C-H, at kickstarter.com or in the show notes for episode 314. And speaking of Kickstarter projects, hey, some maybe good news for the SOS charger front. They said shipment of SOS chargers that were on the slow boat from China have arrived at the port and are awaiting custom clearance. And we should be getting our survey shortly. So unless they come back with the shipment was stolen or set on fire or exposed to water or documentation was wrong and they were sent back excuse, I should be seeing my SOS charger in the next few weeks. Maybe. We also have an Indiegogo project to talk about on this episode, and that is Shuffle, spelled as you would expect. Essentially, this is something that a few of you have been asking about from time to time, and that is a way to have multiple phone numbers on your iPhone, where you can have one number for each of your gumas, for example. Okay, actually, a really useful reason, not that having different numbers for each guma is not useful, but a useful and more morally acceptable reason for having another number is simply one for work calls and one for personal calls, or maybe one for selling something on Craigslist and you don't want to give out that permanent number. Uh, this lets you create and assign a temporary or throwaway number. Privacy is the big thing that they are pushing as a reason to use this service as well, or as they say, quote, in an effort to protect the privacy of individuals in the modern world where personal information can get harvested and abused in many different ways, Shuffle was created, unquote. And well, there are plenty of not-so-morally just reasons for this service that I am sure the Walter Whites and Michael Sullivans of the world could find appealing as well. They also claim Shuffle will offer free voice calls and text messages between Shuffle users when on Wi-Fi. Anyway, if you are looking for a second, third, fourth, or more phone number for your iPhone, that is what Shuffle is claiming to offer. They just launched the Indiegogo project. It has raised $2,000 so far towards a goal of $35K. There's another 35 plus days or 34 days left on this. The rewards are more like plaques in that you get your name listed on their website and app. Because, yeah, nothing says privacy like having your name prominently listed on their website and app as someone looking to get a private phone number. Almost makes you wonder if the DEA is behind this app. 
thanks to all that sent in this next one, and that is that the iOS 7 adoption rate has hit 90%. That took about 10 months. That means a year from now, if iOS 8 does the same uptake, we are looking at close to 1 billion devices running iOS 8 a year from now, and all with the podcast app installed and undeletable. This is a big win for podcasters and podcasting. Breaking down the rest of the iOS adoption at this time, iOS 6 is at 8% and change, and all the others running at an earlier version are about 1% and change. The latest version of Android, KitKat, launched back around when iOS 7 launched. Well, that's at 18% adoption. That is 1.8%, as in less than 20%. Just saying. From Matt S. in Winston-Salem comes this next one about the gift that keeps on giving from Android. Well, Android devices prior to version 4, that is. So if you are someone that has switched over to the light side and ditched an old Android phone, this one will be of interest to you, especially if you were taking any naked selfies, which apparently is something Android owners must really like doing a lot of, before they get rid of their old phones, that is. Seems the researchers looking at used Android handsets that had been, quote, factory reset, unquote, actually found hundreds and hundreds of naked selfies and intimate pictures of both men and women. They discovered this after looking at just 20 handsets for units the old owners thought were completely wiped free. The researchers were actually planning on looking at more than 20 handsets, but seeing naked selfies of Android owners not quite the same as seeing naked selfies of nubile 20-year-old college girls that use iPhones. Apparently, the researchers were found huddled in a corner, scratching at their corneas and saying over and over, 240-pound 50-year-old men should not wear thongs. 240-pound 50-year-old men should not wear thongs. Some things just cannot be unseen. Seems that when the photos were, quote, wiped, unquote, what actually happened, it was just deleting the index to the photos, leaving the photos in place. Nice. I do need to say, one issue I found with this whole study is that if you owned an old Android phone and you had compromised photos and you thought you wiped the photos, this issue really comes up, or what they're reporting it coming up, is when you sell that old Android phone and the new owner then gets it and could find the photos, or so that as, you know, can how they presented it. But I really don't see the issue here. It's not like anyone actually buys used Android phones, do they? Used Android phones have like almost no value left once you drive them off the lot. So I guess we will call this one a theoretical issue. And I guess the only real-world issue would be if you kind of gave an old Android phone away to a friend or a relative and it had naked photos on that phone that you gave away that you were thinking or erased, well, guess what? Surprise, surprise. Let's hope they don't read this article. And in fairness, it sounds like you actually have to root the phone to get any access to those old photos. So unless you happen to give it to a teenage relative, chances are your photos are probably not going to be recovered. But if you did give a phone away and you did have naked selfies on that phone, they're really not wiped clean. Hey, Rod, it's Tim from Chicago. Um, just wanted to make a recommendation to uh, all the listeners. 
you know, iOS 8 will be launching uh, relatively soon. And one of the things that I've noticed, uh, one of the things that I've done is before any major release, I always restore my phone as a new device. So basically, I just take all of my stuff that uh, that I need to back have backed up or have records of, like messages and things like that, that don't come over through iCloud. I uh, save those and uh, make sure I have everything else, you know, photos and stuff obviously backed up or imported. So um, one of the reasonings behind this for me is just that I want to start off with a nice, fresh installation of the software. I don't want to have an updated iOS 7 to iOS 8 version. I just want to have an iOS 8 version. I think that it pays off in the long run and prevents any stability issues. Uh, Just my two cents, and I love the show, Rob. Can't wait to hear the next one. Happy 4th of July. Bye. Hey, Rob. It's Tim from Chicago. I'm calling in reference to last episode. One of the callers, uh, rather emailers, uh, Lori, could not gift a uh, gift or an album from her account. It sounds like the reason is is that she doesn't have a credit card on file. iTunes or Apple, rather, does not allow gifting of your gift credit, which is kind of kind of strange, but that's the way it works. So if you see a gift card balance, looks like um, you just have a gift card balance there and not an actual credit card on file. And if you do have a credit card on file, there could be a problem with the uh, billing. So get the billing updated and uh, attach a credit card information or PayPal, which I prefer, and then you'll be able to gift to your heart's content. Cheers, Rob. Have a good summer. Tim, thanks for that feedback. Back into the email bag. Hi, Rob. I have a couple of questions about iCloud storage space. I have an iCloud email and an Exchange one. Is it just the iCloud email account that goes towards iCloud storage space, or does the Exchange account count towards it as well? Also, with photos, is it just your individual and shared streams that count towards iCloud storage space, or does the camera roll count towards it as well? Regards, Steve in Brisbane. Hi, Steve. Exchange email should not be in your iCloud email, as far as I know. It should all be up on your Exchange server. Per iCloud storage uh, for photos, I believe that is just what you put in your photo stream and not what is in your camera roll, unless you have your camera roll set up to be in your photo stream. But on that last item, I'm not 100% sure, or definitely less sure. Anyway, Anyone else out there that's an iCloud storage space photo user, please confirm on that last one uh, today in iOS at gmail.com. Thanks. Hi, Rob. In one of your earlier episodes, you mentioned the fact that legacy bugs can propagate as you update to later iPhones via backup of previous versions. I have had uh, every iPhone since the 3G, There are some apps which never seem to restore, and I have to replace them manually every time I restore. Thankfully, once I sign in with the user information, everything seems to update. I was thinking of starting with a completely fresh operating system and not backing up from a previous one when I get the iPhone 6. My question is whether the various user data, such as game, progress, etc., will be restored when I copy those applications over to my new iPhone. I have a feeling that I would lose a lot of this stuff. Probably only apps which require a specific sign-in or attach to something like Game Center would probably work the way I'm hoping. For example, 
I have a simple app which I use to record my blood pressure. I don't have to log into that. My user information would probably not copy over. If that is true, then it's not worth me starting completely fresh. It would take lots of work with the hundreds of apps I have and only the minimal reward of a completely fresh account and operating system. What do you think? Regards, Mitch Winston-Salem. Hi, Mitch. To check how an app would work, find an old iOS device and wipe it clean. Do a full restore and put in the apps you are interested in most and see how they work. And that will answer your questions. Different apps work different ways, so you will not know until you try. If you don't have an old iOS device, just set up the iPhone 6 as a standalone device, not from the, a backup when you get it, and see how it works for you. If it's too much of a pain, then do a restore from one of your old backups of your last phone. You can always do the restore from backup later on if it's too much work overall. It really depends on if your legacy issues are a bigger pain point than the starting over issues. And I have not decided yet which is a bigger pain point for me, to tell you the truth. Guess I have about two months to make that decision. Hi, Rob. After I jailbroke my iPhone 5S 7.1.2 with Pangu, I noticed something interesting. Several of my apps asked me again if they could use my location and send me push notifications. After I opened them for the first time after jailbreaking, I never reinstalled these apps, which would usually explain why I would be asked again. I'm curious for a technical explanation of this regards Terry. Well, Terry, I'm curious for a technical explanation of that as well. If anyone out there knows, give us a call or maybe send us an email. Not sure why it would be asking uh, for your location information and to send notifications. It's as if you did it almost a clean install, but maybe in the jailbreak, it wiped out the memory of the fact that you had opened those apps before. But if anyone knows why or seen this, uh, let us know. 206-666-6364. That's 206 Moondog. Send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. Hey, Rob. Hope you had a great 4th of July. I wanted to share my experience with jailbreaking my iPhone 5S and iPad Air running 7.1.2. I was previously jailbroken on 7.0.6, but I'm the type where if there's a new jailbreak available, I want it. I ran into a few hiccups, but I was able to get it done, and after some trial and error, the first thing you want to do is update iTunes to the latest version. After you download the latest version of Pango 1.1, extract the .exe. I'm on Windows, obviously. Somewhere like, um, extract it somewhere like on your desktop. Right-click so you can run as administrator. Be absolutely sure that you back up your phone or iPad before you do anything. After you do that, restore your iDevice using iTunes. That will give you a fresh 7.1.2. There's no turning back now. Feel free to close out iTunes. No need to set up the phone with iTunes. Follow the on-screen steps to restore from iCloud Backup. Once you've made it uh, to your home screen, you don't need to wait for all your apps to re-download. Run Pangu 1.1 as administrator. Once it recognizes your iDevice, click Jailbreak. It will have you manually change the date to June 1st. 
Once the process begins, you will most likely get a red error message saying check caches failed. All you need to do is force restart your iOS device by holding down the lock button and the home button at the same time until the phone or iOS device reboots. I would relaunch Pango 2. Again, wait for it to be recognized and click jailbreak. It shouldn't give you the error message this time. It should then tell you to click on the Pangu icon that was installed. Click and wait for the iOS device to start rebooting. The next step is critical. Once you see the Apple logo during the reboot, unplug the USB cable from the computer and plug it back in right away. If you don't do this, you'll get a jailbreak timed out message and you'll have to start over. It took a while for me to figure that part out, so make sure you do it. Assuming everything went well, you'll see Cydia. I'm happy to report that most Cydia tweaks are working just fine. Winterboard isn't available yet, however. The tweaks that I can't live without, however, are working just fine, such as MyY, Activator. Even though it says it isn't supposed to, it does work. Spring Tomizer, Virtual Home, Zeppelin, Alkaline, Flux, Flip Control Center, etc. I hope this tutorial was helpful. Regards, Oshkosh Josh. Well, OJ, thank you for that tutorial. Hey, Rob, this is Joseph here in California. Um, just wanted to get some feedback in regards to the jailbreak uh, or Pangu. I'm on 7.1.1 and it works perfectly. Uh, I love it. Uh, some of the apps and tweaks that I always use is uh, Byte SMS, which is uh, basically responding to text messages anywhere on the phone. You don't have to log into the app or go into the app, sorry. Or you can actually create a text message anywhere by pressing volume up and tapping the, uh, the middle volume uh, uh, UI. Uh, a few other ones is App Tray, where you just slide down and get all your apps immediately. You could be a lock screen or not. Of course, Winterboard, which you can play all your themes, put all your themes on the, uh, the phone. Um, there are many other different ones, but those are the main ones I use it for. Uh, I think jailbreaking is awesome. I love all the city uh, communities there, all the different developers, and it keeps growing and growing. So, yeah, I love it. I think it's great, and I hope to always uh, make sure to jailbreak in the future. Bye, Rob. Thanks. Take care. Hey, Rob. This is Joseph again here in California. Um, just some of the other apps I wanted to let your listeners know about that are used for jailbreaking. Uh, one would be Flux which is fantastic, which basically at nighttime uh, and actually makes the, the screen a little bit more of like a, like a, like a sepia type tint, so it's easier to read at night. And in the daytime, it actually brings up to normal uh, brightness and uh, color. Uh, so it's easy on the eyes at night. That's a great, great uh, app that they use for jailbreaking. Another one would be Blurry Music App, which basically makes the music app kind of like a see-through translucent uh, gray color. Instead of the bright white that it's currently defaulted at, which is great. I love that one as well. Uh, see, another one I use too uh, would be uh, the Activator. Activator is fantastic. Basically, you can do anything with your phone with the Activator. Uh, if you want to cap the screen twice, you can bring up uh, Twitter for some reason. Or basically, allows you to do anything to the phone based on any type of input you decide. So that's great. It actually minimizes the amount or the wear and tear of your physical button and use mostly software-related uh, controls. That's why you can, if you want to restyle the phone later, you know, you have less wear and tear by using that app. So 
So that's some of the great things that are on there. Of course, there's many, many, many other different speaks and apps out there in the jailbreak community via Cydia. Uh, recommend jailbreaking if you're into that type of thing, if you're pretty technical. Uh, definitely a lot of benefits and fun to use as well. Take care, Rob. You have a great show. Bye. Joseph, thanks for all that jailbreak feedback. Thanks to all that sent in this next one. And that is that Apple is back with a new eBay store to sell or for you to buy refurbished and unlocked iPhones. The iPhone 5 this time. Pricing, a little curious. Pricing is $4.99 for the 64 gig iPhone 5 GSM, $4.79 for the 32 gig, and $4.49 for the 16 gig. So, well, you're kind of saying you're not smart if you buy the 16 or 32 gig versions based on that pricing scale. Actually, I would say save your money and just get the iPhone 6. It's coming soon anyway. But if you're a business or a parent looking for an unlocked GSM phone, this is a pretty good price, especially for the 64 gig version. Not so much for the 16 gig. Link in the show notes for episode 314. Look for Apple's second secret eBay store in those show notes. Thanks to Dr. John for this next one, which is for devs and devs in training, and that is Apple has launched a blog for Swift. It is at developer.apple.com slash Swift slash blog. And yep, link in the show notes, of course. Hello, Rob. It's Ben from Montreal, Canada. Rob, have you noticed the parallax effect doesn't work anymore? Even though my reduced motion is off, I'm still trying to move my phone up and down, sideways, and there's no way I can see a parallax effect anymore. Am I the only one, or do you experience the same thing as I do? Please let me know, and uh, have a good night. Bye. Hello, Rob. It's Ben again. Regarding the parallax effect, I found the trick. Yes, there is an option whenever you select a uh, wallpaper. You have an option in front of you. It says um, perspective zoom. And this has to be selected to on for the parallax effect to work properly. If the perspective zoom is off, it won't work. Well, I just discovered something now. Well, thank you very much anyway. Have a good night. Bye. Into the email bag. Hi, Rob. I just got a new Bose SoundLink Bluetooth speaker. I love it. Is there any app that turns my iPhone into a wireless mic that I can use my speaker as a PA system? Thanks, Nico Glendale, Queens. Nico, I have no clue of one that's possibly uh, will work for what you're looking for. So if anyone out there knows of a way to turn your iPhone into a Bluetooth wireless PA system where you speak, say, into the headphones and it picks it up and rebroadcasts you on those wireless uh, Bluetooth speakers somewhere else in the room, let us know, 206-666-6364, that's 206-MOON-DOG, or shoot an email to todayinios at gmail.com, let us know which apps you can use. Hi, Rob. Just wanted to give you and the listeners a heads up and a bit more information about Freedom Pop. I'd like everyone to know that you only get 400 meg of service if you signed up for the free portion of mobile data. They will cut you off at the 400 meg unless you have upgraded to the top-up option, which is an expense. 
Also, if you're tired of downgrade any service from Freedom Pop, be prepared for long waits and a hold. You will be the last incoming call taken. I attempted for a total of 75 minutes last week at various times to cancel one of the three accounts I have with them. These were my precious mobile minutes used to simply hold. I tried different times of the day on different days. Finally, at 4.30 on a Friday afternoon on July 4th, I got through to a fairly friendly tech support person who tried and tried to sell me on keeping the service, offering free megabytes if I would do this or that, all upgrades. I had received a defective device and was pretty frustrated with Freedom Pop. If you would just let your audience know to beware, other than that, Freedom Pop is okay. Thanks so much, Rob M. Well, Rob, thanks for that feedback. And I should also warn you folks, if you do sign up for the Freedom Pop and you were looking to get the free uh, service with you know the thirty dollars for the uh, Photon four uh, uh, G uh, WiMAX receiver and just use the five hundred meg and you want to do it for free, don't click on any premium or anything or any trials because you will be charged that I think it's like nine ninety nine a month. So just be careful. Check to make sure when you go in to your services and Freedom Pop, once you sign up, that the only thing that's selected is the free $0 500 megabyte thing. If you see anything else in your services right now with Freedom Pop, you need to cancel it. They Their site is confusing. It's easy to click on things and get charged for it. They do it that way on purpose. You know, that's, how, that's their business model. They are kind of like the GoDaddy of data st- services. They're not like Ting or who is more like the hover of data services. So, you know, it's just that's how they do it. So buyer beware, be careful. Uh, you're not going to get something for free without the uh, chances of accidentally clicking on a service and paying be- and not realizing it until your credit card bill comes in. This is Matthew Call from Denver, Colorado. I just had a question for you on the native alarm clock on iOS, and it relates to the snooze timer. It's set to nine minutes, and I don't think there's a way to change that. Do you know if there is a way to change that and why nine minutes was chosen specifically? Uh, Enjoy your show. Thanks, and take care. Matt, sorry, not going to be able to help you on this one. I couldn't find anything on that, and I couldn't find any place where you could change the period of time uh, for the snooze in the alarm clock, the native alarm clock. So if anyone out there knows of a way other than jailbreaking, but on a non-jailbroken iPhone, if you know a way to change the snooze period, let us know. But I'm going to guess that's just kind of what the standard snooze period is for regular alarm clocks in that 10-minute range. So that's why Apple went with that. And before we go today, I want to remind you to send in your feedback to the show. 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOONDOG. Or record your feedback and email it to the show at todayinios at gmail.com. Feedback can be a question or comment for something someone said on this episode. Or it can be a question or rant you have about something else. An apt or product review, good or bad, as long as it is iOS related, it is welcomed. I am always looking for new artwork to feature that you've created an iOS device. Just put some TII branding on it and send it in. And of course, we are always looking for more music created on an iOS device to play on the show. It's your show, and your feedback is greatly desired. 
And don't forget to check out our moderated Google Plus community by going to todayinios.com slash community. And that, folks, is going to do it for us today. Until the next time, I'm your host, Rob, from Today in iOS, reminding you to phone different. This show is hosted on Libsyn.com and part of the Wizard Media Network. If you are looking for hosting, go to Libsyn.com, that's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com, for hosting for your podcast and for creation of your own smartphone app. The Today in iOS podcast can also be found on the free Stitcher radio app. Just search for T-I-I. I founded an Apple, a company that deeply believed in advancing humanity through its products and through the equality of all of its employees. Now, much has changed since my early days at Apple, but these values, which are at the very heart of our company, remain the same. These values guide us to make our products accessible for everyone. People with disabilities often find themselves in a struggle to have their human dignity acknowledged. They're frequently left in the shadows of technological advancements that are a source of empowerment and attainment for others. But Apple's engineers push back against this unacceptable reality. They go to extraordinary lengths to make our products accessible to people with various disabilities, from blindness and deafness to various muscular disorders. I receive hundreds of emails from customers every day. I read them all. Often they are written like one might talk to you at the dining room table at night. Last week, I received one from a single mom with a three-year-old autistic son who was completely nonverbal. The child had recently been given an iPad, and as a result, his mother told me that for the first time in his life, he had found his voice. I receive scores of these incredible stories around the world, and I never tire of reading them. We design our products so they surprise and delight everyone who uses them. And we never, never, ever analyze the return on investment. We do it because it is just and right. And that is what respect for human dignity requires and it is a part of Apple that I am especially proud of.